This is the Bigger Pockets Podcast Show 508. And then we say, okay, now where we are, where are we right now? And then let's write down the steps or the things that we need to change to get there. It oftentimes it requires them to make a transition or sometimes a business model change. So if you guys are feeling like you're in that spot where you're getting wore out, you're getting burnt out, you think, man, I am on the hamster wheel. If I go on a vacation, I feel like I've always got to be plugged into my phone or always got to be plugged into my computer. You need to make a change. You need to make a shift. You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Stay tuned and be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. What's up, everybody? This is David Green, your host of the Bigger Pockets podcast. I am here today rolling solo. The beard is on vacation, hopefully getting trimmed. That thing's starting to look like a bird's nest as of late. So let's all pray for Brandon that he gets his self uh, put together. I am obviously aerodynamically inclined with my shaved head, so that's not a problem I have. We have an awesome show for you today. Give you a little disclaimer. It's a little bit long. So if you're one of those people that doesn't like long podcasts, just mentally prepare yourself now that you might have to listen to it in two different segments, and that's okay. Today, we're going to be interviewing Trevor Mock. He is the founder and CEO of Carrot, a software company providing ready-made and customizable websites for real estate investors and agents. He also hosts the Carrot Cast podcast, where he sort of talks about all things real estate, similar to this, but with more of a business spin. Now, Trevor and I are going to get into a lot of things. A lot of it is, has to do with the future of real estate and how investors can make decisions that will allow them to succeed in the off-market realm, as well as how agents can sort of participate in the off-market arena to help grow their business. Now, the main key point that we get into today is the idea of evergreen content. Now, Trevor describes how there's the way of doing things where you get out there, get it done, go knock on doors, go talk to people. He calls that the hamster wheel because you never stop. You're always doing the same thing. Whereas evergreen content is something that you make one time and it grows in popularity and people can always find it. And what we want to do is help you as a person who wants to find off-market deals to use your voice, your platform, and your credibility to make it easier for people that have properties that you want to buy to find you. As we were recording this show, the production staff mentioned that there's a lot of synergies and similarities between how I built my businesses and what Trevor did. So I can speak from personal experience that this is my future. It is the future. And it's where the focus of my business has started to go to. So when I was a new agent, I would go talk to everyone I could, attend meetups, go meet people. Very similar to what we tell you as investors. Get out there and meet people and tell them what you're doing. Then as you start to gain a modicum of success, you shift away from just getting out there and talking to people to making it for easy to people to find you. So now I do things like record this podcast. I have a YouTube channel. I put stuff on social media that when people want to know more about me or my business, they're following it. They see that content and it never goes away. Now, what it does is it builds credibility for me as a real estate agent or as a mortgage officer. Whatever needs that I'm servicing for my clients, they see me as the go-to person for that. Now, they may not need to sell their house the minute that they see that content. But if I did a good job building brand credibility, they are much more likely to come to me when they are ready to sell their house or refinance that house or they want to get a loan because I've established myself as a credible source that they can trust. My business has obviously done very well. And what we want to do is teach these principles and share them with you so that you can help get your real estate investing business off the ground. Now, for today's quick tip. If you like what you hear today and you want to learn more about what Trevor's team does, 
BiggerPockets has an affiliate link set up for you to make this very easy. All you have to do is go to carrot.com slash pockets to sign up for a special webinar on this exact topic that we covered today. You can see Trevor break down this stuff in even more detail, go over case studies of investors like you who turn their websites into lead gen machines and had success in areas where it was previously very difficult to do so. So if you want to check that out, head over to carrot.com slash pockets to sign up for a more step-by-step exact demonstration of how you can do what we talk about today. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Passive income without the property headache? It's possible. There's a way to invest passively in real estate and get monthly income without any tenants, maintenance, or property management. The Wealthy have been doing this for years, and if you're an accredited or high net worth investor, you too can collect cash flow without the headaches that come from owning rentals. How? By investing in a private real estate fund with PPR Capital Management. PPR's co-founder, Dave Van Horn, wrote the book on real estate note investing for BP. But he's not just investing in notes. Dave and his team also have an extensive background in commercial real estate. And with PPR Capital Management, they're strategically investing in both notes and commercial real estate nationwide. With over half a billion dollars in assets under management, PPR has provided individuals with a steady source of truly passive income since 2007 without ever missing a payment. Check them out at investwithppr.com. Again, if you're looking to get monthly passive income from an experienced team with a strong track record, go to investwithppr.com today. The easiest way to collect rent? RentApp. RentApp is a seamless, secure, free payment tool for small rental property owners like you and me. Built by a team of fintech veterans behind Square and Cash App, RentApp uses ACH bank transfers to deposit rent directly into your account. Landlords love RentApp for its unbeatable convenience. Isn't it time you made rent collection easier? Rent app, the free and easy way to collect rent. Learn more at rent.app slash landlord. That's rent.app slash landlord. It is time to bring in Trevor. This guy is a wealth of knowledge. He's done this for a long time. He's got a system set up that works very well. A lot of really successful investors do exactly what Trevor does and use his systems to get ahead. I'm hoping you guys have as much fun listening as I had talking to Trevor. And again, if you like what you hear, go to biggerpockets.com slash 508. All right, Mr. Trevor Mock, welcome to the Bigger Pockets podcast. David, man, pumped to be on here with you, dude, and excited about what you guys are starting here too with the how to series. Yeah, Bigger Pockets has got a lot of new stuff going on. So if, if the listeners haven't been on the website in a while, they definitely need to go check it out. There's a lot of new things happening, new podcasts being released, new content being created. Bigger Pockets is growing along with the times. So I'd like to hear a little bit about, or maybe you should just tell us, what is it you do? Tell me about the company that you started and tell me why you think it's important for investors to know about it. Dude, so at the start, kind of showing where things are right now, I run a company called Carrot, carrot.com, and we help just shy of 8,000 real estate investors, a lot of real estate agents too. We love working with what we call the hybrids, people like you, David, where it's agent and investor, because you can truly serve those sellers and buyers a lot better. And what we focus on at the high level, and this is what we're going to dive into and teach you guys exactly how to do it to get more motivated sellers in this tough market, is we teach you how to do it through something we call evergreen marketing. How do you do it to where you're building momentum with your marketing? It doesn't matter what type of offline marketing, direct mail, cold calling, what the ebbs and flows of that type of marketing are. 
And uh, how do you attract the, the highest quality, most motivated leads through the internet uh, for motivated sellers? So that's our bread and butter, man. But the reason why I love what, what we do here at Carrot is um, I love helping to build businesses of freedom and impact. And that's that's why I'm pumped about being on here with you guys in Bigger Pockets today. And that's why I keep showing up to work every day. It's like, how do we help people build businesses that truly set them free and help them make an impact in the communities and the things that, that matter most to them? So to clarify, Carrot is a software that allows investors to communicate directly to sellers or agents to communicate directly to sellers, people that own real estate. Is that correct? It is. And the main thing that we focus on, like if you, if everyone grab your cell phone right now, you're probably listening to this on your cell phone. So many people, including your sellers, uh, motivated sellers, or if you're an agent, it could be your buyers and sellers, we're using the internet to do research. The first place we always go if we're trying to vet out anything, right? If we're going to go buy a pair of shoes on Amazon, what do we do? We look at the reviews on that shoes listing on Amazon. And any shoes listing that has no reviews, we bounce off of that thing. We go find a pair of shoes that has good reviews. Well, the same thing happens with real estate agents and investors every single day. So if you're doing cold calling, if you're doing direct mail, if you're doing open houses, knocking on doors, driving for dollars, Every single time you put out a marketing piece, someone's probably going to use that marketing piece and now go research in the internet to find you or possibly one of your competitors. So yeah, we help you get in front of them with a highly effective, we call it an authority hub and attract the most motivated people who tend to be doing the searching on the internet. So this is for people that own real estate that are looking on the internet for someone to buy their property. Dude, but buy the property or I was talking with a couple of clients yesterday and shoot, I'm flipping houses, wholesaling houses in Louisville with my business partner, Bo Hollis. And we massively use uh, the internet for getting buyers as well. So if you're to type a phrase like uh, discount properties in Louisville or wholesale properties in Baltimore, a lot of the hedge funds right now, that's the interesting thing about the dynamic in today's market is we're getting such bigger margins on our deals right now, selling to hedge funds and our top three hedge fund buyers came through the internet. They did a Google search in our market that they're buying in and said wholesale properties in Louisville. And they ended up filling out a form on our website. So it can be used for buyers or sellers. We tend to focus on sellers. Yeah. You know, the off market market has always sort of been like the wild west. It's just, you know, like eat what you kill, get out there, figure it out on your own. The MLS and realtors have really created like a sophisticated platform for buying and selling property. And it almost sounds like what you're doing is you're bringing a little more structure and organization to the the off-market arena. Would you say that's accurate? Yeah, David. So one, one thing I like to compare to, so Zillow did an amazing job dominating buyers on the internet, right? So if you were to search XYZ neighborhood homes for sale, XYZ city properties for sale, you're probably going to find Zillow usually one, two, you know, three in Google uh, for everything. They own the retail buyers. But the opportunity that we saw, man, is no one owns the, the wholesale or the distressed sellers. No one. It's so fragmented. And and that's what we set out to do. We're like, man, if we can be the company that helps our clients own the sellers, imagine how powerful that could be on the sellers online. And that's what we're doing and what we're aiming to do. And one thing you'd mentioned about the retail side, really having the platform with the MLS, dude, a few years ago on our podcast, I started talking about the shift in the industry, you know, the shift in the market that was happening several years ago, where we would see 2017 or so, we were seeing uh, Zillow put up their direct home offer page, and then they'd yank it down. Then they'd put it up for another month and they're testing, then they'd yank it down. And we're looking at it going, okay, guys, this is the direction things are going. And you have the retail side over here, which everybody knows eight real estate agents. Then you have the wholesale side, which almost no one knows a direct home buyer, cash buyer or you know, now people are calling them iBuyers, right? Mm -hmm. And we started to see the writing on the wall with the iBuyers coming in, your OfferPad, Open Door, Zillow, and some of the other big ones too. They're right in the middle. 
right? They're right in the middle and they're basically saying, we're trying to bring the professionalism of what the MLS and what the traditional real estate market brings with the benefit that the off-market property buyer brings, which is quick cash, uh, close quickly. You don't have to worry about open houses and stuff. And so they're kind of bringing the two industries together. And that's really where we see things going is if you're an agent, you need to be delivering something to your seller where it's like, it's not just a listing agreement anymore. It's a, here's three cash offers or here's a cash offer. And if you're an investor, you can't be showing up saying, uh, we're going to make you a cash offer. You also need to say, if you're looking to get the most out of your property, here's what we can list it for or a partner agent can list it for. So things are squeezing towards the middle. A few things that I want to just bring some clarity on for the listeners, because that you made it some really good points that I want to kind of maybe focus in on and straighten out before we move on. The first is just the difference between off-market and on-market. When we say that, what we're referring to is an on-market deal is something that has is being represented by a realtor. It's being marketed through the MLS. This is everything you see when you look at Zillow, Redfin, Realtor.com, Trulia. These websites are just portals into MLSs. They're owned by somebody who's being represented by a listing agent. And a lot of the work is being done through the agents. It's a smoother experience with really like less risk, I guess you could say, because agents have some fiduciary duty and they're licensed and they're governed. And they're there to sort of smooth out as many hiccups as can happen in a transaction. Because there's the presence of more people, they're going to be a little bit more expensive because you got more middlemen that all have to get paid for their time and their energy and their risk and their effort. Off-market deals is anytime you're trying to buy a property that is not being represented by an agent. So the off-market is going to be just by definition bigger than on-market because everything is applicable to that. And iBuyers would be people who go make the cash offers typically directly to people that own property that don't want to list with an agent. Now, there could be the belief that they don't want to pay a commission I think it's basically in most people, they understand that you're going to get more money for your house paying a realtor's commission, but there's also going to be a little more headache, right? You're going to have to get it cleaned up and you're going to have to get it nice and pretty. And the buyers are going to write an offer on an offer form that has contingencies in place and ways that they can back out. So while uh, it's more work basically to try to sell your house that way, and some people just want to say, Hey, I don't want to deal with it all. Just get me an offer, get it sold. I'm not going to make as much money, but I'm going to get a more convenient experience for me. And they're done with it. Anything you want to add on those points? Dude, you, you nailed it. The speed and convenience is the offer there, right? So I think everyone can relate to this is, is you go down to the car lot and you buy a new car, you buy a used car, the very next thing that they're going to say, so you just bought retail, right? You bought at the car lot, you bought retail. The very next thing that they're going to say is, do you have a car you want to trade in? And most of us are going to say yes to that. If we're going to do that, we're probably not going to take it to Craigslist. We're probably not going to do that, even though we know we can make more money. That's great. Every type of commodity out there, groceries, houses, cars, they all have the wholesale and the retail side, and they both serve a purpose. And so, uh, yes, the dollars are a little bigger on houses than, than with a car. But when you sign that thing to say you're going to trade it at the car lot, you know that they're going to go down and put it on the same lot for $4,000 more. And you're totally okay with it. They're going to make the money. They're providing a good service, but it's for speed and convenience. So you can walk out of there. Man, I don't have to list it. I don't have to take people on joy rides in the car. I don't have to know what paperwork to do. A deal we just closed yesterday, actually, in Louisville, uh, the gal got a, a hold of us through what we're going to teach today through Evergreen Marketing on the website on Thursday. Uh, we closed literally, no, we got a hold of us on Monday. We closed on Thursday. So four days that could not happen on the retail market. And the gal knew that there was going to be a discount. We were very transparent in how much money that we were making on it. And then um, it had needed a lot of work, needed a ton of work. And it would have just been really hard to make that work on the market. So the, the wholesale side actually accelerates the retail side. 
there's a lot of wisdom in, in that concept. If people could understand that business and much things in life tend to operate on a spectrum, they wouldn't get so caught up with their inability to take action. So, I mean, we deal with our clients all the time. Do you want money or do you want convenience? Because you rarely ever get the same thing. You want that move-in ready house that's amazing and you can just like, it's already finished and it's perfect. You're going to pay top dollar for that, but you're going to be able to just drop all your stuff in there. And maybe that's worth it to you, especially when rates are really low. Paying more for a property doesn't cost you as much as it used to. If you really want that juicy deal, you're going to be solving problems. You're going to get a property that other people passed over for a reason and you can't have both. That's where people get in trouble is when they try to say, I want all the convenience and the best deal and they just get stuck. They can't take action, right? So when you venture into the off-market arena, which is great, I buy there all the time, you are willingly walking away from convenience. And it sounds to me like what Carrot does is it tries to bring as much convenience as possible into that realm. Yeah, dude, the, the biggest thing that, that I kind of latched onto this way before we started Carrot, and like, so we we work with about 8,000 investors and agents in every market you can imagine, Australia, South America, you know, the US is the biggest, of course, but, and our clients pull in about 700,000 leads a year right now. And so when, when we look at, you know, seven, 800,000 leads a year, most of them are sellers. The reason I'm bringing this up is how it happens is this, is someone is a seller, and they might be in distress, right? They might uh, have a foreclosure impending, or they maybe inherited a house and they've got a brother over in this state, a sister over in this state, and it's just hard to deal with that whole thing. Maybe they are moving and they can't get it sold in time, or they're like, man, we've got to pick it up and go. Maybe they're having some an issue with their with their employment and they have two houses and this is their vacation home. And like, I can't pay two mortgages anymore or whatever reason is, there's a million of them. Or sometimes the people just don't want to deal with the, the retail market. They're going to go to the internet and they're going to do a Google search like a sell my house fast, insert whatever city, right? Or cash home buyers in blah, or how do I sell an inherited house in Birmingham or phrases like that that people are typing in every day. The aim is, is those people are really motivated. They're going to be the most motivated type of prospect that us as a, an investor or an agent can be encountering because they're actively seeking a solution, right? They're going to Google and saying, I want to solve this problem. Direct mail, cold calling, they all work amazingly well. We never people tell people to stop them, but what we do tell people is you have to recognize that it's a hamster wheel marketing activity. And we'll talk about what that is here in a second, but they tend to be going broad and that's where you're going to get your volume. You're going to get your volume from outbound marketing. You're going to get your targeted leads, highest margins, usually from the online evergreen marketing. Uh, so we help you get in front of the online evergreen side of it more effectively. And we'll kind of break down the steps that people can take to get there. Like how do you structure a website to make it happen effectively? The mindset shift, how long does it take? What you have to do? What kind of content to put up there? Uh, we can break all that stuff down, man, as deep as you want to go. So what we're talking about here is the difference between outbound marketing and inbound marketing. Is that fair? Dude, uh, outbound marketing and, and inbound marketing is 100% it. And how do you define outbound marketing? So for me, outbound is, is anything that we're actually going to be taking a message and putting it in front of someone where they're not actively seeking mm -hmm. me or that solution out. So uh, you get a list, right? It could be a list and this works amazingly well. A lot of our best clients do this and get deals every single month on the investor side and the agent side. So you might get a list of vacant properties. You might then cross check it with vacant properties that have code violations in your town. And those are probably pretty darn good prospects. Send out a, a direct mail of a thousand of those and then hope that you're going to get the half percent. 1% response rate. And that's great because you're essentially sending out a message, tapping people on the shoulder and saying, this might be relevant to you. If it is, call this number or hit up our phone number or go to the website. And that's great. But on the inbound side, you're getting in front of a flow of people who are actually increasingly searching these things, especially during COVID, outside of COVID. And with the internet being adopted even more, 
more and more people are going online to find a solution to their problems. So the big thing here, David, and I'll toss it back to you is the cool thing about the inbound, we hear this all the time from people who add this onto their business, is the types of prospects you're working with are a completely different mindset. You're not going to get any of that hate mail. How did you get my address? Stop sending me mails. You're not going to get any of the people who are saying, how did you find my phone number? You cussing at you. It's only people who want to work with you, uh, which is a really, really cool and compelling part of the inbound. I think that's a great point to highlight. So in the real estate sales space, we would call that an outside sales agent. They go knock on doors, they go to events, they go hand out their business card, they do what we call networking, where they're introducing themselves to people and trying to figure out, do I have something that you would need? Like, I want to buy a house. Do you have a house that you want to sell? And that is where you experience rejection because inherently in outbound sales or outbound marketing, you are going to come across people that didn't ever ask for that conversation and didn't want it. Now, for the people that just grind through it, like you said, they can make great money doing that. It's not like it's the wrong way, but I would definitely say it's harder. It's an uphill battle, right? Uh, But you have a little more control. You're not dependent on someone coming to you. You can go create your own destiny. Uh, On the flip side, you got inbound marketing, which is making it easy to be found by people that have something you want. So that's the people that may say, I'm really hungry. And they Google best quesadilla in Denver. And boom, they hit a Yelp. And there's like, boom, number one place, right? That's where I'm going to go. That's typically how somebody like me operates. I don't want to spend a lot of time. And I feel like if everybody else says it's the best one, odds are it probably is. And so I go there. It's different than... uh, uh, a taco truck person driving and knocking on my door and saying, do you want my quesadillas? They're really good. Is that fair? Dude, 100%. And the cool thing about it too, if we kind of look at response rates, right? So the thing I'm always going to tell people is if direct mail is working for you, if door knocking is working for you, if driving for dollars is working for you, if cold calling is working for you, keep doing it. Now, here's the deal though, is we have to recognize, and this kind of goes back to me and back in 2011 through 12, is I was getting to a spot in my business, David, where hopefully, you know, I'm sure a lot of people can relate to this. I was getting burnt out. I was making good money. You know, one month we would do a hundred thousand dollar a month in my previous company. Then the next one month it might be seven. I was splitting it with the business partner. And at the end of the year, the taxable income was really strong. You'd look at the tax statement and go, man, that we made some good money. But the problem I started to encounter was I was getting stressed. Like during the year, I was getting stressed out because I couldn't get off of what I now call the hamster wheel. Because the second that I got off the hamstring, because the majority of our marketing was outbound, was the second that the lead flow started to go down, then I'm like, shoot, I got to get back on this thing. And so it was really stressful because I couldn't predict what my lead flow was going to be like in three, six months as well. And also the income was boom and bust. And so around that time, I, I started to, to look at my businesses and I said, man, what do I like and what do I not like about my businesses that I've had up to this point? And I wrote a whole list of things I didn't like. I couldn't find like a ton of things that I loved. I I did like our customers a lot. Our product was great, but I was just getting wore out in my work. Energy was depleted. And on that list, I took the several things that I disliked the most about the way I'd been running businesses in the past. And I said, well, someone once told me that the best way to find what you do want is to identify what you don't want and just pick the opposite. And so I looked at it and I said, what if I can narrow this down to five and what I now call non-negotiables? What are my five non-negotiables for business? And one of them was, I didn't like the inconsistency in my business, right? So I said, well, what, what's the opposite of that? Well, consistency and predictability, bam, non-negotiable. I'm plugging that into my business now because I'd realized that my marketing, the way that I was doing marketing was actively influencing my lifestyle. If I wanted consistency, if I wanted predictability, if I wanted to build momentum, if I wanted freedom and flexibility, I had to go look at my business systems for sure and my marketing, 
because your marketing dictates how busy you're going to get. If you're doing a bunch of outbound marketing, looking at response rates, it's going to be one in 40 to one in 60 leads from cold calling traditionally for sellers turns into a deal. One in 20 to one in 40 leads for direct mail turn into a deal. Uh, one in 10 to one in 20 Google PPC for sellers turns into a deal. One in five to one in 15 with SEO uh, turns into a deal. And so I looked at it and said, man, list out the rest of my five non-negotiables. And I looked at those ones, consistency, predictability, and momentum. And I said, what marketing method was I doing that actually had consistency, predictability, and momentum? And it went down to what I now call evergreen. It was such a small part of my darn marketing at that time, like less than 10%. But I said, what if I just do that? What if the foundation of my business is built on evergreen and not on hamster wheel? And mm-hmm. then I can add hamster wheel on top of it for scale if I want to, but I don't have to. And that, that was the shift that I made. And it dramatically changed the way that my businesses ran after that. I think that's a really common pattern or rhythm growth cycle for business is I look at real estate agents, you start off with outbound marketing. You are going and talking to everyone you can. You're calling everyone in your database. You're going everywhere you can and saying, I'm an agent. Like You're getting your name out there. Then you start selling houses. You learn how to do the job. Word gets out that you're good. And you sort of switch your strategy from talking to strangers to tell them what I do to talking to people that you've already worked with to get them to refer you business. That's kind of like a hybrid model. I'm, I'm talking to you to get you to give me inbound business. And then you do that for so long that there's enough people out there that they are just bringing business to you. And that's when you see realtors start marketing on billboards and putting stuff in magazines and advertising that you're here sort of replaces going after deals. And I see this rhythm with real estate investors where they start off flipping homes. It's very similar to what you said. You're getting a deal, you do all this work, then you go sell it, you make your money, you got to go get the next deal. You're using the principles of investing, but you're in a hamster wheel. You never get off of it, right? And flippers eventually get into the Burr method or some kind of long-term buy and hold where they keep the property, the property pays them cash flow every single month. And then that property functions as an evergreen income source. Dude, and, and it's so important to make that shift because you know what you had brought up there, David, it's the cycle that we go on because to get evergreen, no matter what it is, evergreen is relationship building, like you mentioned, that is evergreen. But evergreen takes time. Evergreen takes takes work. And you can't just like from, from the first day go, bam, I'm ranking at the top of Google for these phrases. My best sellers or buyers typing, I'm getting leads next month. Or you can't go into a new market and within 30 days have this amazing referral engine of people. It takes work. And I think that's the biggest mindset shift that when we're working with clients, whether it's investors or agents, is we have to, we have, to have them look at their business and literally write down that list. Like, what do you love about your business right now? What, what, what do you not love? And then let's come up with some non-negotiables. And if any of your non-negotiables are you you want more consistency, you want more freedom. We have to go backwards and say, let's look at your marketing now. And now what type of marketing are you doing? And if your marketing is actually making you busy because you have to follow up on so many leads because they're low quality, you either hire people to fill the gap, right? Which we do. I have 50 employees. So you have to hire people to do some hamster wheel things sometimes. Mm -hmm. Uh, So hamster wheel is not bad. As a founder, we just don't want to be doing that. Well, it's especially not bad for those in the beginning of their career. Like I said, you start off with outbound marketing. Right, you start off with that. That's how you kind of get your teeth cut. So there's actually a need in the market for experienced people or even semi-experienced people to move down this spectrum towards evergreen, which opens up spaces for the new people to come in and learn the business, dude. And, and it's all about you. You're spot on, and it's all about the the lifestyle. And what do you want out of that business, right? Because I think when I'm talking to an agent or an investor, and I say, "Where do you want to be in five years? You know, what what do you want that business to look like?" Almost all of them say, I don't want to be doing things the way I'm doing them today, right now. 
And so then we say, okay, I call it the gap, David. And I go, okay, let's create the gap. Having a gap is a healthy thing. So at the top end is where you want to go. Okay, let's write that down. What does that business look like? What does your average day look like? And then we say, okay, now where where are we right now? And then let's write down the steps or the things that we need to change to get there. And oftentimes it goes back to the marketing. Like you're saying, it's oftentimes it requires them to make a transition or sometimes a business model change. Where maybe if you're an individual agent or an individual house flipper, you might then go, okay, cool. Now, how do I buy every fourth deal? I buy that deal and put it in my rental portfolio. Or if I'm an agent, how can I now build a team of agents to have people working with me and and underneath me so I can build that part of the model? So if you guys are feeling like you're in that spot where you're getting wore out, you're getting burnt out, you think, man, I am on the hamster wheel. If I go on a vacation, I feel like I've always got to be plugged into my phone or always got to be plugged into my computer. You need to make a change. You need to make a shift. If you're not there yet, but you see your trajectory, don't wait until it's time to get into it before you learn. That's another thing I've just learned. When it comes to building new skills, I just did a TED Talk on this very same topic. I saw you did that, man. That was awesome. Congrats. Oh, thank you for that. Um, there is going to be a period where you just suck as you're building a foundation. And everything in life is like that, right? Even building literally a house, putting the foundation in looks like no progress is being made, but that's where most of the work is being done. And then it shoots up once that's there. So a mistake that I've made many times is seeing, okay, sales are getting better. I'm going to need to hire somebody, but I wait until I'm bursting at the seams and I have to hire somebody. And then you're rushing in a bad employee and you're trying to make it work. The wise person can has, if you build it, they will come. There's a component of that and sees where they're going and they start the process early. Now, what you're describing about evergreen content is that it takes some time to season in a sense, right? So like, let's start with that. What steps should an investor start taking today if they want to launch a website to make it more effective in the future? Dude, so the, the biggest thing is is the short mindset shift because what will happen, we'll talk with an investor, talk with an agent, and they're three, six, eight months in, and they're not getting the momentum that they hope, depending on the market, and they start to second guess things. So there's something I call the two, six, one formula. And this actually comes from one of our clients is a hybrid investor agent out of Tucson, Arizona uh, named Tyler Ford. And essentially the model with Evergreen, you can apply this to relationship building too. So anything that takes momentum to build, but once you build it, man, you are, you're in the right spot is the two is you're going to work your butt off the first two months. Once you're launching what we call the authority hub. Okay. And I'll talk, we'll talk about here in a bit, the shifts you have to make away from just having a website and what an authority hub is and why it's so much more impactful and powerful in a competitive market like we're in right now. So the first two months, man, you're launching the website, you turn it into an authority hub. We'll talk about the elements to do that, uh, to really amp it up. And then what I, what I like to do is get some sort of hamstrua marketing going right away. If you don't already have something going, cause like I said, it's going to take some time to get the momentum going. We don't want to not have deals for three or six months. And so if we're just talking online, David, we're going to, we're going to do Google pay-per-click first. And when we look at the 80,000 or so leads that come in through our system every single month, most of them sellers, the number three source now is Google ads, uh, bounces back and forth between Facebook ads. Number one is the evergreen SEO through Google organic, but we want to launch a Google ads campaign. And uh, the first thing that I, I want people to do there is you block out a budget. I'll kind of walk through a basic quick calculation that's just a massive mental explosion for people when they think about their paid ads that is a big big deal and the reason i'm bringing this up before we talk about the website is because i want to get people deals in the first 90 days like we can get a deal in the first 90 days that's going to buy you time while that evergreen builds up over the six to eight months 
so if you guys can imagine this, I'm going to, I'm going to visualize it as much as I can speaking it through. I've got the iPad, but I, th- I think I can verbalize this. So I want you guys and gals to write down, or if you're driving, don't write this down, just mentally tuck it back in your noggin. What's your average profit per deal? So if you're an agent, what's your average commission per transaction? If you're an investor, what's your average profit per deal? And I'm just going to use a round number for sake of calculations. Let's say 10,000 bucks. Okay. Uh, A lot of markets are way bigger than that. David, your market, a $10,000 deal, you probably wouldn't even look at on the investment side, but that might be a good commission on some markets or an amazing wholesale deal in a market like Birmingham or something. So write down the, the average profit per deal. Number two is what I ask you is, is I'll say, what would you trade in marketing dollars to get that $10,000? Or in your case, 20 grand or 25 or 50 or whatever the number is. How much would you trade in marketing to get that? Uh, if you're newer and you're not sure, write down the 25% number. So what's 25% of that number? In this case, 2,500 bucks is 25% of 10 grand. I'd be willing to trade $2,500 to get that $10,000 check. Okay. And so that, that's the number that I'd trade. Now, here's the last part of the calculation that tells you your marketing budget. Because what we like to do is we like to remove emotion from your budgeting. Anytime people add in emotion and don't follow the math, uh, that's where we start to inject in our own personal feelings about that number. Uh, hey, you know, how, how many leads can I get for a thousand bucks a month? Or, you know, is a thousand bucks a month okay? That's an emotional number. So if you're going to a vendor, if you're going to someone and you're saying, what can I do with a thousand a month? That's not based off of facts of what the market says you should be able to invest to get a deal. That's based off of your emotional tie to this thousand dollars to say, I'm scared to lose more. Okay. So we have to remove that. So you've got the 2,500 bucks. And now I say, how many leads does it take you with that marketing method to get one of those deals? So with the online side of things, Evergreen, let's use the one in one in 10 number. So one in 10 sellers uh, turns into a deal. That means your max cost per lead is 250 bucks. So math says if we have a $10,000 average profit per deal, we'd be willing to spend up to $2,500 for a cost per deal. We close one in 10 of those with good online marketing into a deal. That's a $250 lead cost. And that might sound high, right? People might be looking at that and go, I'm not going to spend 250 bucks to lead. My buddy over here is getting Facebook leads for 25. I don't care because the math says I can spend up to 250 bucks a lead as long as I close one in 10 and work it out really well. And so nail that budget. And then you just have to ask how many deals do I want to get every month? Do I want to get just one this month? Cool. Allocate 2,500 bucks then. And hopefully you'll get the deal way sooner than that. But a lot of people allocate 500 or a thousand. They stop their marketing and they don't let math have a chance to actually work for them. So that's the first part. Get that going, get some sort of hamstrung going and or paid ads, get that first deal, reinvest it back in. Well, is there something to be said for the longer you have the site, the more effective it becomes? So $250 in year one is less effective than $250 in year five. Well, it depends on the marketing method. So going into the evergreen side, once we launch some sort of hamster wheel to get traffic coming in for sellers like a Google ad, your cost per lead actually goes down on the evergreen over time dramatically. So if we're going to focus on putting up content online, we'll talk about the authority hub now and what you need to do with your website. Uh, that 250 bucks actually goes a lot longer way in a year or two. Uh, and in your work actually goes down with evergreen marketing. Now, let me show my, let me show my screen in the iPad really quick. So for any of you guys and gals watching the video version of this, uh, the video version of this, go find it on bigger pockets, YouTube. 
I'm going to walk through this little framework and I'll visualize it as well as I possibly can. Uh, for those of you listening to this, uh, like to so go to YouTube or, or I'll visualize it. But if you were to kind of look at this graphic here, and this graphic essentially shows from left to right, month zero to month 12 in that first year uh, with Evergreen Marketing. You're going to be hustling your butt off in that first two months to build your authority hub, get some Google pay-per-click going or some sort of ads or some sort of offline marketing and whatever other kind of marketing you can do to get some deals in that first three to six months. And then right here in that six months, after you execute and build that authority hub, and I'll show you guys the elements of that authority hub here in a second, how you should build it out. You should start to get some sort of rankings in page two in Google for those phrases like a sell my house fast. Bakersfield, California, or sell my house, Brentwood, or whatever, which those phrases are all phrases carrot clients own in Google right now. But around the month six to eight, David, we see what we call a ranking sprout. So this period here is kind of like purgatory with evergreen marketing. Same thing with relationships. Month zero through six, you're going, man, why am I putting all this effort into this? I'm not getting the results from it. But you have a ranking sprout in Google around month six where Google starts to recognize the content you've put on your website. It's a fast loading website. That's crazy important. Um, it's not just a brochure site that says here I am, but it's actively being updated with robust content that your prospects want to see. And I'll talk about what, what you guys can do in under 20 minutes a week to do that. And then right here, month nine to 12 is where you start to see momentum and getting that top five, top six in Google. Depending on your market, you might be number one or number two. And then year two is where the real momentum picks up. That's where a lot of our clients take the hamster marketing that they, that they did do. And in year two, possibly even year three, they hang up the phone finally. And they say, you know, I, I just don't want to do this anymore. The deal volume that I currently have is sufficient enough. Or they, they stop doing direct mail marketing because it's able to give them the consistency and, and profits because the profits tend to be higher with your inbound marketing. So that's kind of the timeline of it. And the cool thing is your work goes down. So as your uh, results go up and build momentum over time, your work actually goes down over time with evergreen marketing. Hamstrel, your work stays the same, right? You've got to keep on doing those same activities in order to keep results coming in or hire a team to do it for you. With evergreen, over time, you can put less and less content on your website and your work actually goes down. Your cost per lead goes down, your results go up. So what if I hear what you're saying and I'm like, all right, I get it. I need to get off this hamster wheel. In fact, sometimes I even think about quitting real estate investing because I do have some modest results, but God, the work is... I might as well go back to my W-2 job. I just traded one job for another. Uh, but I don't know how SEO works. In fact, I don't even know what SEO means. I was hoping Trevor would tell me what that word means. How does your company, you, or what advice do you have for those people help them to overcome some of those challenges. The biggest thing, and I'm going to bring up a little page here. The biggest thing is SEO is just simply uh, doing what needs to happen to give, to put the right content on Google. So Google likes it and says, this is the most relevant and high value uh, piece of content on the internet to serve this problem this person has. So I'm going to share my screen really fast, David. And it stands for search engine optimization, right? SEO is search engine optimization. And it sounds pretty fancy, right? Because there's some technical elements to it. And there's definitely things that have to be done. And the cool thing is, if you have a budget, like if you're making some income elsewhere, uh, you can hire firms to do the more technical parts for you. You can hire a company. Uh, we don't do SEO for you, but we provide the tool and the software that makes it way easier, gives you an advantage in your market. So here's an example. You know, let's say I was going to type a phrase like, sell my house fast. Uh, I guess Martha's Vineyard is one that popped up in my search because I was looking at it yesterday and you were doing a Google search 
and you happen to be in Martha's Vineyard and you're like, I need to sell this house. So at the top of Google, you're going to see some ads. Okay. And the ads are, are the things that I explained earlier that you can pay money now and get right to the top of Google and get in front of your best prospects today. And uh, we're paying in, in Louisville, uh, we're paying about $3,000 a deal. We're averaging about $40,000 to $5,000 for a wholesale deal. We're selling to hedge funds right now. And our per lead cost is over 200 bucks. Okay, that, that might sound like a lot of money. The per lead costs like 280 bucks. But when we're closing one in 10, one in 15, depending on, on the week or the month, it really pencils out pretty darn good. So we might be paying 200 bucks and then we might be paying, you know, 20 to uh, 20 to 30 bucks a click sometimes. Okay. So this here down here, and I'll explain it below the part on Google, that says add. Uh, that's the organic part. That's the SEO part. So if I were to click this first one, I'm just clicking a link in Google. If you're, if you're following along, guys and gals, you guys can go and check out Google uh, and just do some Google searches in your market. Type sell my house fast, insert your city. Type best real estate agents, insert, insert your city. Type cash home buyers, insert your city. And so this site that popped up here, this one happened to be ranked number three in that market. Uh, it's a carrot site. And our software helps you launch that high converting website. Looks great. Loads insanely fast, fast loading websites in the industry. And it helps you to, to build a more credible profile, build trust and convert that person. So that's the essence of the high level. How does SEO work? You put the right content on the internet with the right technical structure, which we take care of all the technical structure. So Google likes the overall package and it says, you know what? The user experience in this website's good. The content's robust. This is probably gonna be the most relevant for you. So what you're telling me is that your company covers the element, the technical elements of how to maximize SEO so that the person who is getting the website doesn't have to learn that on their own. Dude, 100%. So there's a lot of ways to, to launch the darn site. You can go to Wix, you can go to Weebly, you can go to Squarespace, you can get a broker provided website. If you're an agent, you can set up a custom site on WordPress. The biggest thing that we help you focus on so you can be an investor is the whole tech stack. Um, our websites load faster than anything else in the industry. Third-party studies have studied our system and shown that. Uh, the only uh, website system in this study by FreshChalk.com that uh, loaded faster than our websites was Google's own local websites, which is a pretty cool thing. And that really impacts SEO, impacts conversion. And then our websites come stock with content, stock with the right design, the right setup to convert. You just go in there and personalize it. Like the one I'm showing here visually to the YouTube crowd, our client popped in here and used Martha's Vineyard specific photos, put in his testimonials, a little bit about him, uh, some of his credibility with Facebook and his veteran-owned business badge. It's really building the authority for his business rather than just being a brochure. And what would you say to the people who say, you know what? I don't need a website. I have social media. I do all my business through that. Dude, such a good question. Such a good question. I was talking with a, a client, Far Group out of Spokane. They're one of the biggest agencies in that area now. And Far Group is amazing with social media. I mean, they're among the best in uh, with social media of any agents that I've found. And most of their business uh, up to, you know, even just recently has been driven by social media. What I tell people is this, is your hub of your content or what I call the hub of your authority should never be your social media profiles because that means you always have to be posting new things to keep up, which is the definition of hamster wheel. Hamster wheel is endlessly doing an activity without any end in sight. And so if your Facebook page or your Instagram page is the hub of your content, you are now tied to Instagram and Facebook and you now have to always post stuff to keep it up. And so if you want to stop doing that for a month or a year, what's going to happen is that it's actually going to start to go against you if people find it because they're going to see, man, their last post was eight months ago. 
right? Uh, is this company still in business? Are they still active? Are they, are they still relevant? Instead, what we like people to do, David, especially for agents on this side, because agents are so invested in the social part, is take some of the longer format content. So let's say you have your cell phone and you're out there at a property and it's a property on a river, right? And you're a real estate agent and you're listing it. I would take out the phone and say, hey, this is Trevor with ABC Realty in Roseburg, Oregon. And I'm out here at a house on the North Omqua River. And I'm actually going to show you the five things you should look for if you're looking to buy a house in the North Omqua River and da, 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 da. Film a three to eight minute video. Take that video, put it onto Facebook, you know, put it onto IGTV. But now don't ignore taking that video and putting it onto your website or your authority hub so you can have long-term momentum building growth. And a really good example, I'll just kind of verbalize it. You guys can check it out yourself, but just one, one of many examples. If you just search a phrase like farmland Roseburg, or there's thousands of other phrases I can give you, you're going to find those little videos. Like uh, I call them video posts on our system where it's three minute, five minute video. The person just talking and being an expert and authority. And normally they would only put those on social. It gets some views for 72 hours and the views would be gone. Right. And now that same video for farmland Roseburg is ranked number one in Google has since 2017 for that agent for any and all phrases around farmland Roseburg. And he created a three-minute video, took him three minutes to upload it to YouTube, took him five minutes to put it into a feature that we have called video post that takes all the words out of that darn video, writes an article for you and sends you an email two hours later and says, hey, your article's ready. And so make the hub of your content uh, something that's evergreen. Okay, so put your longer format videos there, turn them into written content, but use social media for that active relationship building, staying in the market, things like that. You know, as I think about what you're saying, you can't search on Instagram or Facebook how to buy a house. And it doesn't have the capability of connecting you with the people on that platform that do that. You search, if you already know who you want to look up, you can learn a lot about a person or maybe a business if you Google David Green on Instagram, right? But that's what we use social media for is I already know what I'm looking up. I want to sort of verify if this person's legit. Do they have videos of them kicking puppies, right? Are they crazy or can I trust them? But when you don't know who you're looking for, you just know you have a problem. We don't go to social media. You go to Google, you go to the internet, like where's the best quesadilla, right? If someone said, eat at Fred's, I could maybe look on social media to see, well, what, what does Eat at Fred's, what does their stuff look like, right? But that's not what people do when they have a problem and they're looking for the answer. And so I really like that idea that if you put this video on the internet as well, and it starts to catch traction for the rest of the time that video is there on that specific thing, when someone's Googling something about Martha's Vineyard, they're much more likely to find your page. And frankly, it's kind of scary how good Google is at finding those weird niche things and connecting you with the best place for it. It's so scary. Like I'll give another screen share example here. And so once again, guys, if you're listening to the, the podcast version on Bigger Pockets, go find Bigger Pockets YouTube channel. They have amazing stuff over there and you're going to be able to see some visuals, but I'll walk through uh, in an audible way uh, you through this. So I'm on a website, simplysold.com. Uh, it's my business partner in Louisville, uh, seven figure wholesaling operation. And what we decided to do about two years ago is we said, how can we take what he was doing, which was all hamstrung marketing? How can we take it and start to build the authority hub, which is actually going to make the cool thing, David, is when you do your authority hub website the right way, it makes all of your marketing work better. Okay. So if you're doing direct mail, if you're doing cold calling, if you're doing driving for dollars, if you're doing social media, having a good authority hub with the right credibility, the right content that shows you that you're active and shows you're an expert and authority on this topic, the right reviews, it's going to make all that work better because offline marketing drives online demand. 
Okay, you send out that direct mail drop, they're going to Google phone, they're going to Google search your phone number. They're going to Google search your name, your company name. And so one of our clients, Carter Stuff, uh, 1-800-2-SELL-HOMES out of Oklahoma City, biggest home buyer in Oklahoma City, big agent as well. He's a big radio and TV guy. And so just by switching over from a normal type of a website, beautiful looking website, everyone would look at it and say it looked beautiful into what we call an authority hub here with Carrot. He added $20,000 a month to new revenue from the exact same marketing he was already doing. No additional traffic source, just from making his website more authoritative and having the right flow. And so with Bo, when you land on this website, it isn't just a normal stock type of a thing. He has testimonials right at the top. And so that's one of the things I would do with your authority hub is immediately look at your website if you have one, y'all, and say, uh, if people land here, number one, can they tell what, what service I offer? Can they tell within five seconds that I can help solve their problem. And so if you're looking to buy a house or if you're looking to sell your house in Louisville and you land on a website that says, we buy houses in Louisville, any condition in the area, sell without the headache, get an offer from us. Cool. Checks the box. I think they could probably help me with this, right? Then the next thing that goes in that prospect's mind, and you can relate the same thing to buyers. I'm going to focus on sellers right now, off-market sellers, is you look at it and say, okay, now they're probably going to say, well, how does it work? Okay. Well, I've never heard of selling my house direct for cash. How does this thing work? Well, so you need to make sure to have content on the website that shows how the process works. Okay. So now we're going through each one of those objections on this authority hub. And, you know, Bo has done an amazing job taking our model and he's created really good videos. So Bo in this video on the how it works page, I just clicked to tell us, Hey, here's how my process works. You're going to call or going to put it in your information. I'm going to be the guy talking to you. Here's what we're going to talk about. Uh, I'll come and meet with you at your house. If we get to this spot, here's what my offer looks like. Like it's, it's adding transparency to the process. And then they're going to go, cool, check mark that box. I understand how it works. And then the next thing that's going to pop up in their mind, David, is like, so how's this different than agents, right? How's it different than just going and selling on the market? Or how's it different than others? And so have content on that authority hub that's helping you compare. So I just click the compare page. How is selling to Simply Sold different than listing with an agent? Or vice versa. If you're an agent, how is selling with me, you know, uh, Trevor ABC Realty, different than the mega agents if you're a brand new agent? Or how is selling with mega agent, me, different than selling with uh, the newer agents who are coming on the block, your Aunt Marcia? Uh, like, break it down. And I'm not going to go through the whole thing, but you want to go through the logical way that a seller makes a decision. And then after that, they're going to go, cool, I understand how it works. I understand they have a service. I understand how it's different than the iBuyers or different than agents or vice versa. And then they're going to go, but has like, are they legit? Are they going to lowball me? Are they going to actually be able to close? And this is where you really stand out with an authority hub as you start to build in the reviews, the testimonials, building that trust and authority with testimonials and with content, expert driven content as they're bouncing around that site. And they go, you know what? David seems like an awesome dude. He seems like he knows what he's doing. He seems relatable. I'm going to hit him up. And your authority hub needs to do that. Well, what's so great about this page as I'm looking at it is it does answer the questions that we're thinking that we don't want to articulate. So I notice in sales, there's a couple of mistakes that people make. One of them is that they're afraid to broach the topic that they know that the, that the objections of the other party. So I'm an agent and I just met you at an open house and I really like you and I want to represent you. But I'm afraid to say that because I know we just met and you don't trust me yet and you may have another agent. So what happens is I wait for you to make the first move. I wait for you to come to me, but you're not going to do that because you don't know me that well yet. I seem cool. You're waiting for me to sell you on why I sh like you could be swayed, but I need to do some work to do it. So we end up in this standoff and then you go back to using a mediocre agent and I lost a deal. The better way is to say, look, 
I really want to help you. I'm pretty sure what you're feeling is I just met this person 30 minutes ago. Can I really trust them? Do you mind if we talk about what objections you have and I can make sure that we're a good fit? That just opens the door to the conversation that allows you to say why you're better. This person's website did that right? You know, in their head, they're thinking, well, yeah, I'd like to sell my house fast, but am I going to get ripped off? What should I list it with an agent? And the question literally says the difference between listing with us and going to an agent. And if, if the information is portrayed, honestly, they do say you can probably make more selling with someone else, but here's what you're taking on in order to do that. Here's all the inconveniences that you're going to get. And then you work your way through the objections that they have. Is this a con artist? Are they going to take my money and take off to, the, to Switzerland? right? Um, You're way more likely to get people to move forward. And the last piece I'll say is you can't make a person work to get their own questions answered. They won't do it. If I'm trying to figure out... This is weird. I keep bringing up this example, but best case idea is in Denver. If you don't have a picture... David's hungry, man. It's lunchtime. (laughs) I don't know how that started, but... (laughs) If you don't have a picture of that quesadilla on the website, when I first go there in two seconds, I'm gone and I'm going to go to the next one, right? It's just how our brain has been like evolved to process information. Now that we're in the information agent, we're getting hammered by everything. So what you really want is to make it easy for the person who has what you want to work with you. And uh, that was a great example on that website. Dude, I, I appreciate it. I want to, I want to get people to, to kind of understand the importance of this. And here, here's the deal guys. Yeah. This is what I do for a living. I mean, it's our business. I'm in the business because over years and years and years, this is what I found was the most effective way for me to grow my businesses and others. And here's the deal. So I call it phantom expenses. And a phantom expense to me is money that should be in our bank account that's not for some reason. It's an under-optimization of some process. It's an under-optimization or underperformance in our website or in our marketing piece or whatever it is. And uh, going back to the example of your average profit per deal, let's say it's 20 grand or in Louisville, we're pulling about 40 grand plus in our average profit per deal selling the hedge funds right now. And so if we're looking at a $40,000 deal, how many of those deals am I okay with losing this year because of underperformance on my website? because I'm not treating it seriously. I'm, I'm saying, well, all my, all my deals come from offline. Well, how many deals are you losing right now? Like Carter was, he, lo- he was losing 20 grand a month in deals, but he didn't figure it out until he switched the way he was approaching his website. So how many deals are you okay with losing this year so that you can have a cheap website web solution, right? That'll fry your noggin. If you just take a second to think about how much opportunity you've lost over the years instead of... Yeah. And I'm, I'm always the guy who thinks in the positive, but sometimes I go like, what's worst, can, what's worst case scenario? What gaps can I plug? Because if I'm always hustling to try to find more things to add on top, more leads, more top line, and not thinking about how I can actually make the existing stuff I'm already getting work better, then I end up hustling and working too much. And so think about that and just picture yourself. Do I have an authority hub that when someone lands there, it truly puts my best foot forward? It ranks well in Google for at the very least your company name. And with the word reviews, but at the very most for a phrase like sell my house fast in Louisville or cash home buyers and whatever, or best real estate agents in blah. Yeah. Uh, it's powerful guys. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago before I ever started my real estate business, I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb and that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my nine to five job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my 9-to-5 job, so I know anybody can do it. 
Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Pretty good little episode, right? While you were listening, you could have been getting paid rent with RentApp. Landlords love RentApp because it makes rent collection a breeze. RentApp uses ACH bank transfers to deposit funds directly into your account. Setup is straightforward for renters, and landlords don't need to download anything. Both have peace of mind with the digital transaction history. Isn't it time you made landlording a little easier? RentApp, the best way to pay or collect rent. Learn more at rent.app landlord. That's rent.app landlord. You might think you want real estate, but that's not true. What you really want is passive income. With new investors struggling to find deals or get enough money to buy them and veteran landlords tired of the constant tenant phone calls, is there a better alternative? Actually, there is. Short notes from Connect Invest. Connect Invest is an online investing platform that allows you to easily participate in passive real estate investing, and all you need is $500 to start. Short Notes collectively funds a diversified portfolio of commercial and residential real estate projects across acquisition, construction, and development phases. You'll earn a fixed monthly income without the hassle of owning or managing real estate. Head to connectinvest.com BP to create your account. Fund your digital wallet with at least $500. Select from 6, 12, and 24-month short notes with annualized return rates up to 9%. Then sit back and let your monthly returns roll in. Join today by visiting connectinvest.com slash VP. Connectinvest.com slash VP. So one of the things you mentioned was this hybrid model. We didn't really get into that a lot, but I think that that's cool because we can kind of share that's something I'm doing with something that you're doing. We mentioned earlier like the website you have and how people are looking for that thing. So what was funny to me is I started a, a loan brokerage called The One Brokerage. And as I told people about it, I assumed that they would just be like, oh, that's David's company. Uh, we'll use them. But every single person said, oh, send me the website. I want to check it out. Right. And what they're what that statement said, as crazy as that is, is the website has more credibility than the word of the person that owns it. Right. And I didn't take it as an insult. I just took it as that's what the human brain's looking for to feel comforted. For some reason, they didn't ask to follow me on social media. They said, What's your website of your company? It's the onebrokerage.com. And they wanted to go there to like, I guess, verify. I think they wanted to probably dig in and they felt uncomfortable doing it to me as a person. So that social proof and credibility is wildly important. And people do this a lot of the time for agents. You had something you want to say about that? No, dude, I, I was going to say they, they do that for everything. Like I'm, I'm pre- bringing up a screen here again, guys, go to bigger pockets, YouTube, subscribe over there. I'll visualize it. This is another big home buyer in Florida. I think they are a hybrid actually, I believe don't quote me on it, but they'll take this where the hybrid opportunity comes in here is this David. Then I'll show this page and why it's important. They'll take about 80% of the leads. So when you're marketing for a motivated house seller, someone who types a phrase like sell my house in blah or sell my house fast or cash home buyers in or like this phrase right here, sell house I inherited, right? Sell house I inherited it in Birmingham or whatever. So let's say it's Birmingham, Alabama. In Birmingham, Alabama, if I knew how to spell. 
Someone might type that phrase. Are there going to be a lot of people typing that phrase? No, it's not going to be a huge volume. But the ones who are, you can better believe they're going to be so highly targeted and so amazing that they're probably going to be great leads. And so if you look at these ones here, these are all customers using our system to get ranked really high in Google with our content our automated content. We teach how to do this in, in our training. But the reason I brought this one up here is no matter what type of prospect you're going after, a, a probate prospect, inherited prospect, or just someone who's looking to sell, uh, about 80% of those motivated leads actually want retail. So you might get 10 leads, eight of them out of 10 are probably going to want retail, maybe seven out of 10. And so a lot of investors are taking those leads and they're throwing them away. They're just going, well, like they're tire kickers. They're not serious, whatever it is. And so that's where the hybrid opportunity comes in is a lot of the agents who are also investing, they're approaching it kind of a little bit of a backwards way than, than we're seeing is working best is they're approaching it from the retail side. Instead, spin up something that's marketing directly to a motivated house seller. Say, I'm going to make you an offer and or I'll, I'll, I'll get you the, the best, uh, the, we'll put the most in your pocket and then take the 80%, 70% who don't want the cash offer and say, awesome, I can list this and put more in your pocket. And that's where an amazing lead source is coming through. That's what they're doing here. Let me speak to the agents for a minute here. It's a very big topic of contention in the real estate world that Zillow became a brokerage. People are very worried that Zillow is basically going to take business away from agents when agents sort of created the Zillow platform by buying leads from them and everything. And Zillow said for a long time, they weren't going to do that. So if you're not an agent, that probably makes no sense to you. You just really like Zillow. Agents are very, very worried about that. What Zillow did, right or wrong, I'm not getting into that, is they got to the top of the funnel. And what everyone has to understand is if you control the top of the funnel, you control the whole business, right? Zillow is where eyes go to. And so that's how they're able to sell leads to realtors. If, re if realtors did a better job of creating stuff like what you're talking about and people came to them first, Zillow would have no business. They'd have no place in the market. Like They only exist because they can get people to go look at houses there. Then they can sell the leads to the realtors. Eventually, they can cut a realtor out and they can just sell the house themselves. So... If you're a realtor and you want to stay relevant in the future as iBuyers become more prevalent and hedge funds become more prevalent and the world sort of shifts to where everyone wants to own real estate, it's not just this niche market of cool people that listen to Josh and Brandon. It's, it's, it's kind of scary in some ways. I don't love it that everyone knows about it, but as interest rates are pushed low and the government just keeps pumping out money, I could go on and on. But basically, real estate becomes much more desirable for the masses and they're learning how to crowdfund and gather money and go buy real estate. If you want to survive, you got to be at the front of the funnel. What that means is the person who has the property needs to find you before they find Zillow or your competition as an agent or whatever the case would be. And so what we're really getting at here is if you can get to the front of that funnel, you have options. Like you said, like the water hits your funnel and then you say, well, I've got the bucket of I can get your house sold right off the bat. I got the bucket of I can list it. And I got the bucket of I can fix it up and then list it and get you even more money. And human beings love options. I mean, my team is literally trained to share information with the sellers that we work with as option A, option B, and option C. And we sort of set it up like Goldilocks, right? This one's too cold. This one's too hot. The one in the middle is just right. And they always pick the one in the middle. There's something human psychological. And it makes you feel, if I just gave you the middle option and there wasn't one on either side of it, you wouldn't like it. No, they're, they're going to go compare your middle option against someone else's option. And that person is going to portray the information better and make it look better than mine, even if it wasn't, and they're going to go there, right? So that's exactly right. I can stop you from shopping me if I can give you all the options right here. And that's that's basically what you're talking about. So what what do you recommend for agents 
who like me, right? I was an investor, then I became a real estate agent and I sort of operate in both spaces and it helps me be better because I can advise my clients from an investor's perspective. And then the more money that I make in selling houses, the more I can go invest, right? So both of those things sort of feed each other. Dude, here, here's a couple of things. I'm going to share the screen again and I'll walk through it verbally, but uh, here's a, a big agent in, in Brentwood, California. If you were to Google sell my house, Brentwood, that's not even like a motivated term. That's just sell my house, right? Sell my house fast, sell my house quickly, sell my house for cash. Those are motivated type phrases. Uh, but sell my house, you, there's a few people paying for ads in the top. And then you have this one up here, Krista, uh, Krista Mayshore. Uh, amazing agent uh, using a carrot site here. She's as an agent ranked number one on Google for the phrase, sell my house, Brentwood. And most agents are so focused so hard online on the buyer side. And, and you're trying to compete against Zillow on the buyer side, which you can do that. Like I'll, I'll do another search like you know, North Umpqua River Homes for Sale. I can, I can type a bunch of other ones. That's a niche in Roseburg, Oregon. Zillow actually, when they don't when they don't control the number one ranking for a phrase, they tend to put ads up. And so this client here has been ranked number one in Google over Zillow for two years now for their best niche for for um, houses. So North Umpqua River Homes for Sale. You know, G team, go ahead is a carrot client there. So you can do that for buyers. You can beat Zillow by being more hyper local and by creating more robust content on your location pages. Okay. But on the seller side, what you guys and gals need to do is launch what I call a location pages or just niche pages on your seller site on, as an agent. And you could even keep your existing site if it's set up to perform well, if it's set up to, to load fast, great on mobile, if it enables you to put content up online. Uh, just create a page that's literally like, I call them location pages. This is the second part of the authority hub. The first part was what I showed you before, having the core of your website nailed so it builds the credibility. That's what I call the core conversion pages. That was your how it works page, the compare page, your review use. That's your core conversion page. It's going to make all of your marketing work better, right? The second part of it's the location pages. And this is where you get new traffic now is you write down like, what are all the areas that I would invest in uh, that I want to buy off market properties in? Or what are all the areas that I have off market discount properties in that I want to find cash buyers? Or if I'm an agent, what are the areas that I want to find retail sellers or buyers? Write down the list of those cities, write down the list of those niches in the cities, and then create a page for every one of them just like Zillow did. So when, when you look at Zillow now over here, and I'm going to show the visual and I'll talk it through, but Zillow's homepage is never the thing that ranks number one in Google, right? It's, it's like, unless you literally type Zillow or homes for sale, maybe, but Zillow's uh, location pages are. So it's their North Umpqua River page. It's their Umpqua River page that are ranked there. And so if you can reverse engineer the same thing as an agent or an investor and say, I want to create these niche location pages. And what I suggest people do, David, because they get overwhelmed, I say, you know what? The core, uh, the core conversion or the, the core conversion pages. Let me show you the iPad because I've got a cool picture on it. Right, but right here, the core conversion pages are this part here. It's it's this part. You set it up. It's kind of a one-time thing, right? It might take you a few days to set that up or hire it out. But then as you get new testimonials, as you add a new person to your team, as you want to refresh it, maybe once a year or twice a year, you're up, you're updating the core conversion pages. So that's not a ton of work. But then next you do these location pages like I'm talking about. I suggest just blocking out a little bit every quarter. Do three to five a quarter. If you want to really go crazy, do 10, 20, 30 a quarter. If you want to like do the Zillow scaling type of thing, we have a lot of clients that are doing that, but do three to five a quarter. And every quarter when you're doing your planning, just pull it up and say, cool, what new pages do I want to create in my site or hire us to do it or hire someone else to create those pages. And it could be a sell my house Brentwood page. It could be a sell my house in this neighborhood page or whatever it is. So do three to five of those. And we don't have time to talk about like how to specifically optimize the page, but the basic, the basic level of it, and this is going to get a little detail 
is you ideally want to have at least 500 to 800 words on those pages to have any kind of a chance to have it rank uh, towards the top of Google. That's pretty technical, but that's what we do for a living. Like that's what we help people do at Carrot. Okay. So a few of those a quarter. The last part is those things like I called the video posts. Like the one where I showed you, hey, take out your cell phone. You're on the, you're, you're there on the, on the property. You're in your office and you have a whole list of types of things that people might be searching in Google. Uh, it could be for your niches. It could be how to sell a house I inherited in Birmingham. It could be whatever. Try to do one of those a week. And that really stacks on that momentum. It's the stuff you would normally post on social media. Right? It's that three-minute video of a tour of a property. It's you standing up there teaching about how to get financing in the new market. It's whatever it is. Make them three to five, three to eight minutes. Because going back up to this number here, five to 800 words, the average person speaks 120 to 160 words a minute. And so if you were to take a five-minute video where someone's speaking through educating the whole time, uh, that's about an 800-word article. If you are to take a three-minute video, it's about a 500-word article. And then you put them up on your site using a video post where you guys don't have to use carrot. You can go to rev.com and transcribe that video. And then you put it on your blog, put the video at the top, your transcription below it, a good headline. Do one of those a week. We just save 80% of your time and make it happen in less than 10 minutes. So what are some of the biggest mistakes you see people make when it comes to this, this strategy? Dude, the, the biggest mistake I see people make is stopping before it has a chance to get momentum. Uh, so they, they might, they cranked out weekly video posts or whatever it is, weekly blog posts. If you'd rather sit down and write, most people don't like to write. So just use the video post thing, three to five minute video, three to eight minute video, upload it. Uh, we have a whole list that I can give you guys. If you want a David Wartz, literally video ideas one a week for 52 weeks. So you guys don't even have to think about what do I do videos on? Um, but the biggest mistake is they'll do three, four, five things, 10 things. They'll do it for two or three months and then they'll stop and they'll say, man, I'm putting in all this work and this thing over here, this hamster wheel activity over here is getting me leads. So I'm going to keep doing that. Mm. And this evergreen thing, man, I'm just not getting results from it. And that's number one. Number two biggest mistake that people make is they, they make an assumption that a website is a website is a website. And one thing that, that Google's doing right now in big ways, uh, they just rolled out something called Core Web Vitals uh, this summer. And Core Web Vitals actually takes the page speed into major consideration with Google rankings now. Uh, across both mobile and desktop. And so it means if you're just on a website that you're paying for $10 a month shared hosting or a really slow website, or it's a really just bulky WordPress install with a bunch of plugins that load slowly, you're gonna have a harder time ranking well in Google. Not that you can't, it's just gonna be harder. And so they'll use something that's clunky and low cost up in the upfront, and they'll actually lose potentially tens of thousands of dollars down the road of lost deals because of performance. Number three, and I'll, and I'll stop at this, is, is people try to overcomplicate it. Is they, they go, man, I have to be an amazing writer or man, I've got to be good on video. No, guys, I used to hate being on video until you just get out and do it. So literally just take out that phone and shift the mindset to go uh, from I don't have time to do this to say, how do I just document what I'm already doing? And you're out there on a property or you're literally like you're literally working up an offer right now. You're at your desk in your office and you're working up an offer for uh, a house you're wanting to purchase. OK, it was an inherited say, hey, hey, guys, this is Trevor with XYZ Homebuyers. I'm actually going to I'm actually writing an offer uh, for Marsha and Marsha inherited this house. Her brother is one state and da da da. I'm going to walk you through how I'm making this offer uh, so you guys and gals can see the four steps for me and how I come up with a dollar amount and then da da da. Put that on your website, put it on your social. Don't overcomplicate it. So those are the three. 
not patient enough. Number two, the wrong tech stack, the wrong website that's going to make it. So all the work you're doing is not going to be as effective. And then number three is overcomplicating it. Now, when it comes to actually setting this thing up and having to fork over the money, how much does the whole thing tend to cost? Yeah. So if you're going to do it, like a, let's say a custom website, you're going to go down the road to your buddy, your cousin, Eddie, who knows how to set up a WordPress site. It could range depending on their on their aptitude with SEO, like building a website to rank high in Google and conversion rate optimization. Those are specialties that most web people that don't really know about. So if you're going to set up a legit good custom site, you're probably talking five to 10 grand uh, to have it done pretty darn right. And then you've got the monthly maintenance. So it might be 30 to 50 bucks a month for a good virtual private server hosting. You don't want to get the the shared hosting. Um, And then you're gonna have to pay your web person to make updates and things like that, whatever their rate is, 65, 70 bucks an hour. So you're talking 10 to uh, five to 10 grand plus, you know, 100, 200 bucks a month on average to pay for your web hosting, things like that. I I was going to say with Carrot, that's what we do. And it's all uh, under a couple hundred bucks a month. Who are some people that we can research if we want to see what this looks like done well? Simply Sold is a great one. So simplysold.com, Bo Hollis. What you guys can do too is just literally go to Google and type up sell my house fast, insert any city in the country, and you're probably going to find you know three, four, or five carrot sites somewhere in the top of Google. Oftentimes it's number one in Google, sometimes it might be three. And just kind of click through some of those and pick up the ones that are carrot sites and see how they're doing that, see what they're doing. But Bo Hollis with simplysold.com. He's my business partner in the Louisville market, and he's been doing a really, really good job with video, man. It's like he, uh, him and I were talking today on the deal that we, that we just closed, and he said, dude, this one came from, he asked the gal, he said, uh, how did you find out about it? She said, I was on your website and I saw your video. And she said, I just felt comfortable. I felt like I, I knew you and I felt like you'd be a reputable person. So uh, he's a great one. A guy named Keith Sant, Keith uh, with Kind Home Buyers, kindhomebuyers.com is amazing, crushing it. Does eight to 10 deals a month uh, using this method right now in a couple markets. Man, househeroes.com. Their website doesn't look the prettiest. It's on carrot. They've done a lot of adjustments, that, but they bring about two to 3,000 leads a year, seller leads between land and, and house. But yeah, just Google search, sell my house fast or any phrases like that. And you'll find all kinds of carrot sites out there dominating most cities. Now, I want to wrap up with your perspective on where you see the market going. So you had me as a guest on your podcast. It's called the Carrot Podcast. Is that right? Yep. Uh, CarrotCast. Yeah. CarrotCast. And we it was episode 246, if anybody wants to go listen. We talked a little bit about how we see like where the future of the industry is headed. Would you mind sharing your thoughts on what you think is happening right now and how online authority plays into the future? Yeah, David, so I'm, I'm going to give some thoughts and I want you guys to take them with a grain of salt because I thought the market was going to soften in 2020. I think a lot of people did, but it did the opposite. So right now where we are, and this is something I've been talking about for three going on four years, is we're in that transition of the market, just like the stock market was in, in the 90s and 80s and 2000s, right? Where technology had caught up with the inefficiency in the market in the stock world. I, if I wanted to buy a stock, I had to physically call a broker, they placed a trade. It took a while to make all that happen. And then in the late 80s, uh, 1988, 1989, the stock market crashed and everyone was rushing to call their brokers and the brokers weren't picking up the phones because all hell broke loose. And so technology of the next two to three years caught up with it. And people started to go, well, shoot, how do I cut that broker out of the middle to get a more efficient transaction? And you started to see the broker's uh, fees go down. You know, E-Trades or Charles Schwab started going online. You could get a $10 trade, then a $9 trade. Now now with uh, Robinhood, a $0 trade. 
And so you start to look at other industries, travel, um, the stock market, you know, loans, all these types of industries. And we go, at some point, technology catches up with the inefficiency in the market. And that's what's been happening with real estate the last three to five years. So now how does that impact you as an agent or an investor? Well, number one, it creates more competition. It drives margins down for the person doing business the same way. Uh, like agent commissions, uh, we were saying years ago that agent commissions are going to get compressed. And agents were like, no, I'm still getting my 3 to 6%. I said, well, it's going to happen. So just be ready for it. Investors, if we don't change the model and add more value, your wholesale deals and flips might get compressed if the market's a normal market. It's been crazy the last year. So the growth in, in appreciation is covering up some bad business operations is what's happening right now. And so it creates more competition. When a market's hot, more people want to invest, more people want to be agents. There's, it's not as scary. So that's what I was thinking. Let's say the stock market's going down. You really want that broker to give you their professional opinion on how to, because you know you could lose money. So like, man, make sure I'm making the right call. If real estate's not doing well, every single problem with that house becomes a big deal. But when it's just going up, 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 you start to value the advice or the counsel of the expert in that area less because the risk decreases as the amount goes up. And I think that's what we have seen in real estate as well as in the stock market. And that's why a lot of those traditional jobs sort of became less important. Dude, huge, right? And so what they had to do and all these had to do this, they had to shift and they had to say, how do we now add more value to the transaction? Um, how, how do we make sure that that I'm not just a gateway between a transaction happening and I happen to make money because I'm in the middle as a wholesaler, because I'm, I'm in the middle as a, an agent? How do I actually add value to the process? And so I feel over the next five years, we're going to see a flushing out of both sides of the the industry as i buyers buy more and more properties every quarter's they're every quarter they're buying more and more it's going to force the retail side to really embrace the wholesale and cash offer side and we've been talking about this for years where agents have have always poo-pooed that side saying wholesaling is illegal saying uh, or can you even do that all these things and um it's not illegal but i think you're going to see a lot of the traditional real estate lobby starting to get laws that make wholesaling harder so we've been telling uh, investors for two years guys go get your license None of them wanted to. I'm like, get the license because that's where things are going. And so I really see that the person who's able to do both, like what we call the hybrid, where you're truly able to serve that client better. You go to that seller and say, you know what? I can solve any problem you throw at me. It doesn't matter if the house is distressed. It doesn't matter if you want to list it and you're willing to wait a couple months to get top dollar. It doesn't matter if you need to close four days later, like we closed this deal yesterday. I can help you. I can serve you instead of throwing them, you know, casting that lead to the side because they don't fit in your pretty little box. And the iBuyers are forcing that issue right now because they can do both right now. Last thing on, on prediction wise, because of where we are right now in the market, and this is what we're getting from the hedge funds that we're working with, that we're selling to, we were talking to them and saying, which markets are you guys buying? And so they gave us a list of 16 markets. And we're like, all right, we're going to go after any of these markets we can. And here's the interesting thing right now, David. I think there's an amazing, amazing opportunity for the wholesalers or flippers in this market or an agent to go into this part of it uh, to serve the demand that's coming from uh, hedge funds for the next 18 months to two years. And the hedge funds gave us their calculations. They told us why they think the market's going to keep doing certain things for the next 18 months to two years. And the numbers, the reason we're able to make so much bigger profits selling to the hedge funds right now is they're not buying based off of market value, which is crazy. So if we're a wholesaler and we're, we're able to buy a property, we get one under contract for 75 grand, let's say, okay? Normally we'd be able to then, let's say after retail value for that is 150, we, we get it under, under contract for 75, we would maybe get a 10 or $20,000 wholesale fill out, which is amazing. 
Send, flip it to a wholesale that contract to a flipper. They repair it, get it on the market. They make their 30 or 40, right? So what we're in that same deal, the other wholesalers are going after that same property where they would normally never pay more than 75 using this example. We can pay 85 to 95 to that same seller and pay them more. So the seller's getting more in their pocket. So we can claim in our market, we will pay you more. We'll pay you more than any other home buyer in the market. And then we go to the hedge fund and they're, they're working off of an arbitrage. They're borrowing half a billion dollars, a billion dollars at a point and a half is what one of the hedge funds told us. He's like, we've got $300 million. We got to deploy. We borrowed at point and a half. And our whole aim is how do we get 8% returns in this? And so they're taking their, their, their calculation. What rent can we get for this property? Work the numbers back to get their six, uh, their six cap rate, their six and a half cap rate on some of those. Right. And they're going cool. What dollar amount is that now? Almost every time it's 95%. Completely different model of valuating the real estate. Right. And this is this is so important for people to hear. I know it's coming at the end of the show, but if you're a person who's listening to this podcast and you want to know about the future of real estate, you have got to consider this. The reason it sounds crazy that hedge funds are paying over what we call the market value is for a long time, prices were relatively stable. And so whatever the house was worth, your goal was to get it for less than that. That was the safe way to invest. And we've told people it's still better, obviously, if you can get it there. The problem is with prices going up as fast as they are, the hedge funds don't care what the house is worth today. They care what it's like when they have to exit two to five years later. And it's relatively easy to get an 8% return with the way the properties are appreciating. So the old way that we valued a house was what are the comps look like? But the comps are set in stone from six months ago or three months ago or whatever it was. If prices keep rising, that house is worth what they're paying it to the hedge fund. And it becomes a good deal because the prices rose. Now, obviously, we don't want people just throwing money at houses, assuming it's going to go up in value. Okay, You have to make sure that you can afford the property. Otherwise, it doesn't make any sense to have it. But Wayne Gretzky said when they asked how he scores so many goals, I don't skate to where the puck is. I skate to where the puck is going to be. And that's really what hedge funds are doing. And a lot of our clients get stuck in, nope, I'm just going to wait for the perfect deal and I'm not going to do anything. And those same perfect deals they couldn't find are $50,000 more now than they were three months ago. And so it's just something you have to consider depending on the market that you're in. It's very competitive. It's not just bigger pockets listeners that want houses anymore. Everybody wants houses. People want to live in them. People want to house act. People want to rent them. Hedge funds want to buy them. Small mom and pops want to buy them. Like everybody wants to own real estate. And so as long as that's the case, like it, in order to get in the game, you may have to look at real estate from a different lens than just what's the ARV. And I want to be at 80% of that. Dude, 100%. And a couple of the dynamics here as we close is you guys know these numbers. The housing market or new housing starts was underbuilt by half the last decade from 2010 through 20. Right. Usually there's eight to 10 million housing starts in a decade. There was about five to six million from 2010 through 2020. So you look at it and a lot of people are, are going, and I was originally too going, man, things are going to do something soon, but there's a lot of fundamentally healthy reasons why the market's strong. And there's some fundamentally not healthy reasons. There's a lot of foreclosures that are not hitting the market because the moratorium's hit, and that will have an impact. Interest rates are really low. They'll change eventually, but the foundational healthy things, the millennial generation is in their prime home buying years right now. They're the generation that are the most mobile with their careers, especially after COVID. They're making great money. They're moving into suburbs, things like that. They're buying houses right now where a lot of them were in the cities. 
And um, that's a really healthy thing. So as long as you guys can look at the healthy reasons why, look at some of the things that could change as COVID uh, starts to kind of get behind us hopefully soon and, and dive in. And um, the, the reason why I suggest you guys to shift the marketing model right now with all the competition, with the focus on the sellers, with the hamster wheel marketing and lifestyle you might be living is in a competitive market when there's a lot of options, we have to stand out. And the way that we stand out is by building authority. It's by building authority and showing how we are more trustworthy, how we can actually solve your problem. And the best way to do that, especially as certain other marketing methodologies dry up, text messaging, cold calling, uh, they still work great. But what happens if the government squashes text message marketing, which they're already starting to do in some spots where you can't do it? Oh, I hope they do. Just for myself, I get about 30 text messages a day that are unsolicited. <laughs> yeah. I, someone's been trying to sell me for a month on this shark tank thing to lose six or seven inches. Like I get it. I get it. I get it every single a week, it seems like. And so when I look at those marketing methods, I say, do I want to base my business off of those? They might work today, but do I want to base my business off of those one, two, three years out? Or do I want to base my business off of something that's going to keep growing, which is the evergreen? More people are hitting the internet. More people are trying to seek out solutions. And if you can get in front of those sellers and buyers, well, let's talk about sellers and build authority and make it so you're getting people consistently coming to you. If something happens in the market or if something happens with that marketing methodology, the leads still come to you and they're the best, most motivated leads, guys. So make make the shift. Think about it. Yeah. And I want to clarify, I'm not telling everybody just go throw money at houses because there's certain markets. Like we have an episode coming out where I interviewed somebody from Rochester, New York, and they mentioned how the population is decreasing and jobs, job uh, employment opportunities are decreasing. That's not one where you want to, the puck's not going that way, right? So you're not going to go over what a property is worth there. But like you said, if hedge funds are in that area and they're scooping up all the inventory, there's going to be decreased inventory and you can sell to them. That would be an area where you have to be more aggressive. And so the world has changed. There's information about different markets that everybody can get. Let's say the market does crash. I would rather have, like you said, some kind of seasoned authority that people are going to find me first when they want to go sell their house fast. Right. Especially if there's not a lot of buyers to buy the house on the MLS and the seller knows I could list with an agent, it's just going to sit there forever. And I need to get this thing moved. You don't want to wait till then before you get your website going. 100%. Get it going now. And I want to clarify that this one last spot in the hedge funds too. Cause yeah, I, I, I want to double down. I don't, I don't want people going away and going, man, hey, Trevor's telling me to go buy this stuff at 8%. No. So the, the hedge funds are actually arbitraging on the rental income. And so they're not even looking at the appreciation. And, and they're going in there saying, we're borrowing at a point and a half. We want to arbitrage it and get you know to the eight. So they have about a six and a half percent, uh, six points in the middle uh, because they're taking the point and a half and they're saying, where can I put this money that's safer? Stock market, not right now. They're seeing it overvalued in the, in the stock market too much. You can't put it into treasuries right now because the rates are too low. And so you start to look at the category. You go, well, shoot, uh, we're likely in an inflationary period. Uh, is that going to stop? I don't know. I'm sure that more inflation is going to happen. What happens with rental real estate is you raise rental real estate rates up every single year. It follows and outpaces inflation sometimes. And even if the economy were to take a, a hit in the next three to five years, rental real estate is still going to be needed now more than ever. During the last downturn, rents actually outpaced other returns in big ways uh, while the housing market was taking a dive. So the, the hedge funds are looking at it saying, we borrowed at a point and a half. We're going to be buying properties that get us the rental income that give us an 8% uh, sustainable return. And then in two years, if we can sell it a big return, we will we'll exit that and go into another asset class. If not, rents are going to keep skyrocketing. Their returns now go to eight, nine, 10%. Uh, and then they'll exit when, when it makes sense. So it's just, it's an interesting time right now. 
Well, Trevor, you and I could talk all day. I know we were going to wrap this thing up. I wanted to kind of pull back the curtain and let the listeners of the podcast hear the kind of conversations that those of us that are deeper into the industry are having. I have a mastermind and we're constantly bringing people in that are doing exactly what you're doing and sharing that information because it's the industry is changing faster of real estate than what people that are on the outside looking in actually realize. Thing, some areas are getting really hot. Other areas are sort of staying the same. And you really need this information to figure out how to make the best move for you. So thank you for your time today. We're going to skip the famous four because we're already in overtime. But before we get out of here, tell me where can people find out more about you and Carrot if they want to take the next step? Yeah, dude, go uh, carrot.com. We have tons of free content over there. We've got a webinar that, that uh, we run each month on Evergreen where we dive into it detailed. Uh, it's carrot.com forward slash pockets is for the bigger pockets community. So carrot.com forward slash pockets. But dude, find me on Instagram. I post a lot of stuff that we're doing there on the real estate side and just general entrepreneurship or the carrot cast. Uh, check out David uh, and his episode over there. So any one of those spots, uh, find us. But we're, we're pumped to hopefully work with you guys or at the very least add as much value to your world as we can. All right. Well, thank you very much, sir. Thank you, guys. This is David Green for Trevor Super Carrot Mock, signing off. You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. The market is changing and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom and the best investors know it's not about timing the market. It's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into the real estate investing game or take your game to the next level, finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. With BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. Just head to biggerpockets.com deals and enter a few details about what and where you want to buy and bam! Instantly match with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. This free resource is only available at biggerpockets.com deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com deals. That's biggerpockets.com deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all hosts and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. BiggerPockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.